0: questions that dealt with spirituality some dealt with finance uh, uh child rearing sex we asked each other a lot of questions just to make sure you know hey I, I think i'm pretty sure about you
1: did your house caught on fire like in the cold dark 24 hour nightness of alaska or did yeah, it this, yeah oh, yeah this was in the mate.
0: this was in the winter time I just wanted to make sure that whatever decisions that I made had a positive impact on the people I love or the community in which I serve. No matter what I do, cannot control the actions of another human being, even if it's my
1: child. What's up? What's up, man? It's your boy, Coach Crump from the Boy Man King podcast. Excited for our first ever episode with none other than my special guest, Mason West. Man, excited to have you, Mason, man. So, look, I want to get right into it. Uh, First of all, how has your experiences been? We're at the uh, Pigeon Forge Retreat here for the prayer line. How have your experience been so far? It's been great. Um, I very
0: seldom uh, get this opportunity uh, Mm. to get really with anybody, but especially with the, the brothers from the prayer line. Um, and I almost was, uh, was unable to make it. I'm just happy that I was able to come.
1: Yeah, man. I'm, I'm happy that you're here too. And what I love about your story, the parts that I know about is your unique childhood. Kind of take us back to what were some of the pivotal experiences and lessons that you gained from your childhood? Wow. Um... Well, I was uh, born in Anchorage, Alaska.
0: My parents met there. My father uh, was in the Air Force, and my mother worked um, as an accountant for um, the Air Force base. Um, She was a civil servant. So um, they met there. They both had come from previous marriages. My father uh, had uh, seven daughters from his previous marriage. My mother Mm. had one daughter and, um, and two sons. And they lived with her at at that time. Mm. And so I was born there in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, My parents, after my father um, retired from the Air Force, bought a house in like this uh, mountain suburb of Anchorage, Alaska called Eagle River. Mm. Um, That was probably my earliest uh, memory because I was um, uh, in a house fire. Um, wow! Yeah, our house caught on fire late at night, and I didn't have my own room. Oh, so, so did,
1: did your house caught on fire like in the cold, dark, twenty-four hour nightness of Alaska? Or did yeah, it ca- this. Yeah, oh, yeah. This was in the. Man. This
0: was in the winter time, um, and it it was like deep in the winter. It was. I think. I think it was like in October. So doesn't yeah. doesn't
1: Alaska have like twenty four hours of just darkness? Not
0: where I live, like in the northern uh, most parts uh, of Alaska, where. Uh, where I lived, you know, in the summertime, the sun will come up at around 4 a.m. and go down at about 11 p.m., and then it's kind of the opposite, you know, um, in, in the winter. You know, uh, the sun will come up at, like, um, 9 a.m. and go down at, like, 2 or 3 p.m. Like, you
1: in, know? in in a traditional American experience, we got, like, commonality with, with people who leave, live in our region. What's the common kid things that, I mean, do you guys, like, go outside, play sandlot, football, baseball, like what was the common, like child experience socially? Everything was pretty much the same. You know,
0: life in Anchorage, Alaska wasn't, um, was different from what we called the lower 48 uh, states. You Mm. know, it didn't, where I lived, it didn't look, you know, that much differently. We uh, played all the same sports, did all the the same games. We may have done, um, you know, Uh, we may have gone camping and fishing and Mm -hmm. all-terrain vehicles and things like that a little more uh, than the average person but Mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't that much different
1: so tell me what was your big takeaway from your father um when you was a boy when you was younger as a child like what were some of the key things you remember him saying and doing or, or watching by example what were some of the things that you took away from your father.
0: Yeah, for my father, it was pretty much work ethic. It was pretty much, um, you know, investing all your talents in what you were doing and being the best uh, person that you can be. I never uh, remember him uh, using like the same phrase all of the time. Yeah, it was just the expectation that you did your best at yeah. whatever you whatever you did.
1: Got it. Got it. So as you transition, um, that any point when you leave your you know your childhood to adolescence did how did your relationship with your father make a pivot in towards your attitude or towards your relationship dynamics while you was older but still in the house in high school or maybe even college but you know still kind of really connected to the day-to-day did anything dynamically change in your relationship or your perspective
0: no, my father was pretty much clear about when you went from boyhood to manhood. Mm. So, there, how how was he like? How did what what happened with that? No, just as as far as uh, as uh, a boy, you know, decisions were made for you. Mm. You were you were taught, you know, um, lessons. You were expected to um, apply those lessons, and then at a a certain age, I guess. Um, I was around 16 or, or 17, uh, it became far more, it was about when I started driving, it became far more about your own decisions. Mm. So there was a point that my father no longer called me a boy. Uh, there was a point where I wasn't directly given lessons that I was expected to apply, mm. but I was um, given permission, I guess, uh, to make my own decisions. Got I just it. had to live with the... The consequences got of it. those decisions. My parents, at that young age, would never let me go too far in that type of uh, uh, decision making. But um, definitely, my father uh, created a space
1: where there was a transition from boyhood to manhood. Awesome. Do you remember, kind of quickly, like what type, of, what age you were, significantly, like when that was happening?
0: Yeah, well, I was around sixteen. It's when I started driving. Okay, yeah.
1: got it. Mm-hmm. So we fast forward a little bit. Now you're out the house, Mm -hmm. you're doing what you do, and you decide to take on uh, additional responsibilities as a man Mm -hmm. when it comes to your significant other or your children uh, and your children. When that first um, process of you getting married, having your first child, what's kind of some of the things that's running through your mind at the initial stages of you making a decision to make these huge lifelong commitments?
0: I just wanted to make sure that whatever decisions that I made had a positive impact on the people I loved or the community in which I served. You know, so um I guess based on uh my father's approach to things, I just did my research on mm. things cuz I wanted to make the right decision. And um yeah, let's, that played let's, out with my marriage and my children.
1: Yeah, uh, your particular research that you did with your with your wife man can you kind of expound upon that because i think that's like a hidden gem that so many people in relationships with their spouse or potential spouse can really benefit from can you tell you i think you guys went to the library and asked each other some questions or you wrote a book can you take up talk us about that
0: yeah uh, my wife and i met uh in uh mm-hmm. oakwood college now oakwood university when i was a sophomore and she was a freshman and when we uh, started dating um, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes, you know? So at around that time, you know, I had friends who were also dating and you kind of heard the, the horror stories uh, of dating. You kind of Mm -hmm. heard, you know, the, uh, the consequences of engaging in sexual activity uh, too earlier or, you know, um, being involved in relationships super, superficially. So uh, when we decided, hey, we might be serious um, about each other, we uh, made a date every day to go to the library, Oakland College Library. And uh, we would uh, read this book called Adventist Home by uh, Ellen White, who was a, you know, a prominent member um, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm. And we would do two things based on what we would read. How could we apply it in the relationship that we had? And what would we want, you know, for a marriage? Mm. You know, if we got married and we had children and we built a life uh, together. And I thought that that was a a significant part of, you know, our relationship. It really set a strong foundation. It kept us uh, from being uh, superficial. Uh, It kept us from, you know, just worried, Mm. worrying about, or focusing on you know superficial things, mm-hmm. and it really um, gave us a chance to really know each other because we had to ask ourselves some deep questions about what we believed about God, what we believed about this world, wh- about family, deal with each other's um, past and expectations for the future. How many and so questions? That worked out. How many well,
1: questions you think in that book that you guys actually ask each other?
0: Man, I I I don't know because we did this for almost a year. Every and, day Yeah, every day except the weekends. Um, except Friday, Saturday and Sunday we were we would spend time in the library because you know you'd go to the library naturally to do your homework and stuff. Mm. So we would go um, uh, to the library it's like a Monday uh, through Thursday thing before we did our homework. we'd read a chapter or half a chapter of Adventist home and based on what we are were reading, we would ask each other questions. You know, mm. and so um, and and they were, you know, some were uh, questions that dealt with spirituality. Some dealt with finance, uh, uh, child rearing sex. We asked each other a lot of questions just to make sure, you know, hey, I, I think I'm pretty sure about you because neither of us ever wanted to. Um, and I don't know why I thought this way at that age, but neither of us r- ever wanted to even think the word divorce. You know, or that we could not get through something uh, together.
1: Mm. Awesome. So, uh, how many children do you have, Mason? I have four children. Okay. Yeah. Now, become a father. Can you tell us what fatherhood has taught you?
0: Uh, Fatherhood has taught me number one my uh, capacity for love. Uh, Fatherhood has really uh, taught me patience, and it also has taught. Uh, me, the influence one human being can have over the life mm. um, and the destiny of a, of another human being, mm. you know? And I'm not even talking about, you know, uh, grand measures. I'm talking about um, daily interactions you have in the small things. Gotcha. Um, I'm uh, talking about the little things you say and that you do. But I guess the most important thing that has taught me of late is I no matter what I do, cannot control the actions of another human being. Wow. Even if it's my child and I've exercised a good amount of authority over them, uh, over their life, they mm. have their own mind. And at some point they're going to make uh, decisions that aren't necessarily a product of my child rearing. It's a, a, a product of how their mind is developed. And at some point they come uh, to the point where they can make their own decisions. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it.
1: Yeah, that's one of the, the the keys that you gave me to help me in my journey uh, as a man. When you talked about we all have to understand that everybody has free will. And that's a huge nugget that you always share uh, to the men that you be coaching. Can you can you expound on, on why is that so important for people to understand who are trying to get other people to get things done with them?
0: Yeah, um, I'm a Christian and, um, you know, According to Christian tradition, you know, God uh, created Lucifer perfect, you Mm. know, and this is a perfect God who created a perfect being and gave that perfect being free will. This was a being that stood in the presence of God, you know, and was the most powerful being created Mm. being um, in the universe. And that being still rebelled, that Mm. being still rebelled against a perfect God, that being still looked An omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, you know, uh, God and said, you know, I don't love you anymore, Mm. you know, and I'm going to go to war with you. Mm. Um, That helped me to understand that, you know, with my children, you know, no matter how much, you know, I express love for them, no matter what schools I sent them to, Mm. no matter how much, you know, I reared them, they have free uh, will, you Mm. know. And, and there comes a point with my children, all of them, you know, significantly around 18, 19 years old, you know, they had free will and they exercise it. And there's absolutely nothing that I can do about it except love them unconditionally. And I try to tell fathers that and others that who um, who want their children, you know, to be a perfect uh a um, uh, product or result of their will, mm. you know, or their engagement and their interaction. And it's just not possible. And many fathers forget themselves as as, as boys and, and young men, mm. you know, and that all the great lessons their parents taught them, they still did not do exactly what their parents said or live up to their parents' expectations. Wow. Free will is a powerful thing.
1: Wow, wow, <laughs> thank you. That was awesome, man. I know our listeners gonna benefit from that. So. We talked about your childhood. We talked about you first stepping into decision making on your own. We talked about you managing fatherhood. What are some things as a leader, and uh, particular leader of of those coming after you? You know, particularly young men, boys, or even men. What are some key uh, principles you try to uh, exude in your own leadership style, or also teach?
0: Well, the the first thing that I uh, try to impart uh, to others is um, an understanding of human nature you know that the uh, different human beings that uh, you know we engage those who we interact with you know they are dynamic um, emotional mm. uh, physical and spiritual beings and um, and those dynamic beings have gone through different experiences that shape the way they behave uh, shape how they believe. Mm-hmm. And I one of the most important things I feel you can do as a leader is understand mm-hmm. you know that you are dealing with a dynamic uh human being. Mm-hmm. You know, and that takes patience, that that takes uh thought, that takes uh strategy, gotcha. you know, in order uh to lead. So mm-hmm. that's that's the the most important thing that I try to get uh people um to understand. Uh, Secondly, as far as uh, leadership is investment, you know, the investment Mm. of your time and your energy. If you're going to lead people, are you willing to make the investment Mm. to lead? And I guess a lot of people uh, think leading is just, you know, telling people what what to do. do, Mm. Right. Or it's just you coming up with an idea that you feel everybody should accept immediately. And that's just not the case. You know, uh, when you're leading people, there's because of the understanding I talked about, you know, there's uh, listening skills that you have to uh, develop. Uh, There's an exchange relationship uh, that you have to develop where um, when you listen to people, um, you may be going in a a specific direction or trying to take people in a specific direction, but they help create that direction. They help Mm. create that path. You know, because I'm only, uh, I've only got one set of talents and, and skills. Mm. I might have a vision, but I may not have all the skills and talents necessary to fulfill that vision. Mm. So there are other people that I have to get to buy into that vision and then they help build it. They take ownership of it also. Gotcha. And, um, if I can understand and help people, uh, take ownership and have the patience, um, I think those are two important things as far as leadership uh, is concerned.
1: Yeah, that's, man, I love it, I love it. So thank you for sharing all the things that you've been sharing. Um, Here at the Boy Man King podcast, we also want you to kind of leave us with a final thought when it comes to what do you think we need to do as a people, as a community, as humanity, to help with helping boys become the men that we're trying to get them to become.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, run a rites of passage program and the, um, one of the things that I, I found is most important rights of passage program is if you are helping boys become men, manhood has to be defined, you yeah. know, and, you know, we uh, tell the boys, you know, that a man is a priest provider, protector, and patron and have them, you know, repeat that and have them, um, define that. And then, um, give them a path towards manhood where someone who has taken that path before them you know they declare them a man too Mm. many boys are searching for this concept of manhood and Mm. they don't know what it is they uh, seek to determine it themselves it's a totally different thing where someone else bestows a title on you it has Um, it has far more meaning to you. So Mm. one thing I think is very important for our society is um, a grand step like that should uh, should be defined. And then um, the last thing that I would say is, as a people, how do we exist um, in this space um, as a people? Mm. I think we forget that we are a people. We have allowed down through time you know, um, others to divide us, divide us by very superficial things, you know, color of our skin, religion, nationality, you know, gender roles and things like that. And we forget that we are, you know, a people Mm -hmm. because of these superficial divisions that are only placed on us so that we will go after each other's throats while Mm -hmm. someone else controls the resources um, we need. And um, yeah, if we can define humanity, manhood, Um, And then if we can uh, work to exist in those spaces as one people, uh, I think there's, will be a lot of hope for the human race.
1: Yeah, so Mason, you're a dynamic speaker, author, entrepreneur, who's also a leader in the education space for over 20, what, 20, 30 years now, 30? Something like that, yeah. (laughs) Where can people find more about you, about your resources, about your programs? Like, what is Mason up to now? Oh.
0: Um, right now, I'm the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at an independent school in Northeast Georgia, Northeast Georgia called Raven Gap Nakuchi School. And that's RabinGap.org. Uh, if you want to find out about that school and the wonderful programs that we're doing, I have a nonprofit called Nation Builders. That's um, NationBuildersLead.com. You can go to that website to find out what we're doing locally um, and, and nationally.
1: Mm, awesome. Awesome. Mason West. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.